Welcome to the official, unofficial, uh, official uh, YouTube podcast, talking all things YouTube, album news, tour dates, McFisto appearances, and community discussions from the staff about U2. This, of course, is the Zuropa episode, and uh, just by way of uh, where you can find this, if you're looking for it later, goodstuff.fm slash atu2 slash 44. This is episode number 44, and I've got with me some uh, Zuropa-esque folks who are going to be chatting about the album. Sherry, you're back for the, another round? Yeah, I'm still mild and green and squeaky clean. You're the only one who, I don't know if anybody, we'll see, I guess. Marilyn, you're back too. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. There you go. And Ian, first time, right? Yep, this is my first time. You were supposed to be on the Actang one, then I screwed it all up. Uh, no worries. <laughs> well, that's really appropriate because the first time is one of the songs we'll be talking about this evening. <laughs> you're right there with the puns. I was going to say, we, we, I forgot to warn folks. I think we'll have to do this next time, whoever's listening, if you're on the next episode, whichever one that happens to be. You have to come prepared with a YouTube quip, pun, or something when you get introduced, I think, is uh, something we need to start doing. Or you're kicked off or something. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Might, might not be that serious. but <laughs> So uh, last episode, we had the Actang Baby episode. And thanks to everybody who sent us a complaint and or laughed with us with our little acrobat trick we played on you. Uh, we... I would apologize, but I, I'm not really sorry. <laughs> we had a little bit of fun with that, with the live folks, as well as uh, I know folks who uh, tweeted at me saying they were wondering if something was got missed. They went back and tried relisting just to make sure they didn't sleep through that part or something. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm glad we had a little fun at your expense, and hopefully you're not too mad at us. It was all Matt's idea, and he's not here this episode, so... <laughs> But uh, in terms of U2 news, actually, uh, surprisingly, perhaps, just uh, last night, where are we here? Last night, right? The Mr. McFisto made an appearance on the Jimmy Kimmel show. Sherry, you actually had watched it. I haven't actually had a chance to watch the whole thing yet, but what was uh, what were some highlights for you? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, um, uh, the last time some... Uh, uh, bathtubs were used. It was for the electrical storm video and Samantha Morton was coming out of it. And last night we had Mr. McFisto uh, stepping out of a bathtub. So McFisto is no Samantha Morton, let me tell you. But um, yeah, it it was basically your, your 60 minute with commercials in between infomercial about all things uh, red and uh, giving an update on on how the red campaign is is going and promoting all of the omaze uh, uh, opportunities for people to um, donate to get votes or, or uh, um, chances at some pretty amazing uh, uh, experiences. Um, Bono and Halsey um, did a duet uh, on a 1939 Cole Porter tune um, talking about how uh, sucky 2016 is or was uh, or forever will be. Um, so nothing like hearing Bono singing about Pokemon Go and Jigglypuff. Um, but yeah, at the at the end, they had something called the Red Pack, where it, it was all the stars of of the evening singing like the Rat Pack, and then right at the very end, uh, talking about how we we're all going to hell if we don't help people with AIDS. And then uh, here comes McFisto, um, to which the Twitter verse just exploded with like, "Oh my gosh, he's back! He's back! He's back!" Yeah. Um, this time wearing a red lame. 
instead of a gold lame uh, uh, suit, but you had the white face uh, with with much thicker eyebrows this time and uh, uh, accentuated cheekbones. Uh, but those devil horns were still there, as well as that wry smile. And uh, it's been it's been far too long, but I think we're that's not the last we're going to see of our fine McFisto. Yeah, Ian is. Uh... I know you work on that. I think you, you work on the database songs crew, right? Is there a McFisto appearances listing that's in the database? <laughs> Not that I'm aware of. Sorry. No, no. Oh, shoot. the best, the best part of last night, it, it wasn't that he stepped out of the bathtub. He kind of slid out of the bathtub. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I haven't seen Bono that limber in ages. Yeah. <laughs> well, they could have put some Crisco in there too, but, oh, yeah. but yeah, just seeing him just, just slither and slime his way in it 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 was so on point oh, yeah. Um, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i was trying to, i'll put the link in the show notes i made a little animated gif of the of him of the, the bathtub splitting apart and revealing bono <laughs> which sounds a lot worse than it actually is um <laughs> but uh yeah it's a i don't do you think uh, without going too far down this rabbit hole marilyn maybe you can respond like the idea is this does this play well with folks who aren't youtube fans or does it come across kind of cheesy and campy i guess that's how that's kind of the goal of the whole red thing is just a bit have a little bit of fun at their own expense and and try and raise some money right and awareness yeah i don't think that um people who aren't youtube fans are going to know what that was about but he was devilish enough that they understand yeah. the whole point of that performance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and it was also helpful that the song was all about we're all going to hell. So, so they made it abundantly clear um, as far as, as the topic goes so that anybody who, who didn't get the whole McFisto bit figured, oh, here comes the devil, you know, the devil in disguise. Um and and it also provides Bono, who who has that almost too too good of a uh, persona, like he's always doing good. Um, it gives him a little bit of artistic flexibility, um, which you know the whole Kimmel episode last night was all camp anyway. It was so over the top camp. Um, so to have that episode end the way that it did was, as I said, on point. Yeah. Yeah, and it's always just it's fun, and and obviously it prompted a lot of sort of uh, discussions and hope, and like Sherry alluded to, the idea of uh, McFisto making an appearance sometime down the road. What do you well, think? He just he just seemed like he was like at home again. Like he still looked so comfortable just sauntering on the stage and vamping it up, and gives me hope that we'll get more like uh, on stage uh, theatricality going forward. I'd kind of given up hope a bit for it on you know, future tours, but. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, I definitely. That's I know. Um, we talked a bit about that. I think in the Actung episode too of just the the sort of um, aggressive and theatric side of Bono that isn't isn't as uh, uh, I guess it doesn't make as much of an appearance lately, but did certainly through the Zoo TV's Europa era uh, and perfectly timing timed by Bono to bring that back as we discuss <laughs> Zoropa. I think he, like somebody said, he listens to the podcast probably and just wanted to make sure we had something extra to talk about tonight. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, actually, which brings us to the inbox. You can send questions to the to at you two podcast by using the hashtag Ask at you two on Twitter. Our little machine was a little slow today in picking up some of your tweets, so apologies if we missed some of them. But um, at Mysterious Ways that had mentioned who, what besides Bowie do you think influenced the creation of Mephisto, and uh, and obviously how much of an influence was Berlin on on Zeropa? And I think I don't know. It's a bit of a if you've read the Bible, B P Fallon's not. Um, Bill Flanagan's Bible, there's some discussion about it in there, about the creation of McFeesto and stuff. And, you know, it is kind of an amalgamation of a bunch of different stars, pop and rock stars, uh, and also having a bit of, I'm sure, uh, Gavin Friday's influence as well in there. But uh, I don't know, where, Sherry, do you think, where is he coming from with? Yeah, I think I think that it's a combination of all of that melded with a little bit of C.S. Lewis from the Screw Tape Letters. Um, right. That certainly had a influence on him at this point. Um, Hold me, thrill me, kiss me, kill me uh, wasn't on Zuropa, but it but it came out um, a year or or two after Zuropa came out. So it was probably floating in the in the ether, um, so to speak. So so if you think about good old Uncle Screw Tape, um, you could very much picture uh, uh, Screw Tape maybe looking a little bit like Bono's creation. Um, as he extols the virtues of 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 uh, of his other world onto good old uh, nephew Wormwood. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at at Bruno Caffey asked, uh, which is an interesting question I hadn't actually thought about. Um, but do you think we'll ever get a proper Zeropa reissue? And uh, I said I'm hoping for a Wanderer demo with Bono on the vocals. Uh, Marilyn, what do you think? Is there a reason why do you think we haven't got one yet? Or I have no idea, but I would definitely get that if they put it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was. I have a feeling it's probably just time, like Edge in particular, probably wanting time to go back and go through the song re for a proper reissue. And it's not they don't, as far as I can tell from what I remember and what read, they don't sort of farm this out just to some engineer. And you know, they actually do want to go through it. Edge seems to want to go through stuff like that and re-EQ stuff and, and whatever, and so and pick whatever well, besides. I also think, too, that this album was made pretty much on the fly, and it really has that sound. And to go back and sort of read it again like a book, um, I think that would be hard to recreate that sort of magic they had um, that they made with all these songs. Uh, because of the way it was made. So I don't know. I don't know if it would be a good thing or not, but I would definitely get it. <laughs> you know? And, and if they're going to do it, July of 2017 would mark its 25th anniversary. So that would be an ideal time. Uh, we haven't seen anything come through the pipeline showing that the band was showing any interest in doing it, but the way that Live Nation and the record label want to mine you two for every last cent that they have, uh, uh, or or rather we have, uh, yeah. <laughs> I I wouldn't put it past them to put one out, to be honest. Yeah, it's interesting because they are trying to obviously record an album right now, or who knows exactly which stage they're at, but they're doing something with music <laughs> right now. <laughs> and, uh, and so to be in the studio at the same time, you know, remixing or whatever, uh, Zeropa quickly wouldn't be that, I guess, out of the question. So, um, yeah, who knows? Yeah. I guess we'll see. I've always, I've always thought that um, Zeropa had like the most 
content to dig in out of any U2 album, just like how they designed the booklet. And I think it's got Bono's best lyrics to date. And so I think if they did do a remastered version and they released all the bonus content and stuff, um, yeah, I would just love to dig into what they've got. It's just, it's more stimulating to me than anything else I've ever found from the band. Nice. Well, that makes you a good, good person to have on this episode. Um, and I think there's a bunch of, uh, tweets that, um, you two war 40 sent in some of them we'll sort of get into throughout the discussion maybe as well. Um, and, uh, cause yeah, like, like you alluded to Ian, there's tons of remixes as well. And just material that was like, obviously sort of half done or left on the to do pile, uh, like hold me, throw me and stuff like that. And sort of has surfaced in various ways since then, but I agree. Um, so if you want to send in questions, like I said, you can send tweets with the hashtag ask at you too, and we'll grab them for the show. And, uh, and that's way the way you can sort of comment or give, uh, topic ideas and things like that for the podcast. But this time we want to try and keep moving forward because I know the, the album discussions tend to go long, which is fun. Um, uh, but we don't want to have you here all day re- listening to us talk about Zeropa. Um, but uh, so what we've been doing, in case this is your first episode of the podcast that you've, you're joining us with, uh, for our roundtable discussion, we've been going album by album, starting with Boy, of course, back in episode number 34, goodstuff.fm slash ATU2 slash 34 is where you can listen to our discussion of Boy. And so now we've finally arrived at Zeropa. And so... Um, the the band we don't need to spend a ton of time on the history of it i guess but just in terms of sort of generally it's like sherry alluded to they recorded it while they were on tour the um it was sort of a it was supposed to be an ep at first right and then it became a full album um anybody else want to add some color to sort of where zuropa was born and how it was recorded if I remember correctly, they were flying back every night to Dublin after they would perform a show and they would work in the studio and just keep on recording and recording and then fly out for the next show. And yeah, uh, I like the kinetic energy that brought to the album. I think it really benefited the band and what they made. It only took them six weeks. It was the fastest U2 album recorded, um, which says something. (laughs) Yeah, for the like we've we'll get to in the songs, but yeah, for the depth of lyric and stuff, like Ian said, uh, just listening to it, re-listening to it again in preparation for the podcast, I'm I was just impressed with the amount of just good like nuggets and and again, I'm a Actung Babies Europa person as far as when I really dug into you two, so it's hard to sort of uh, escape my bias a bit, but um, I really feel like a lot of the not necessarily the whole songs as a whole, but there's like just really some really good moments in this album that uh, maybe go a little bit undeserved or un, uh, uncredited. Um, so uh, I'm sure you had, there's a youtube.com's write up about the album um, just in terms of it sort of seemed to be like perceived as not being that successful, but um, it had reached. Well, this was before pop. So, so right. up to this point, <laughs> you know, you True. think about the massive success that they had with Octung baby. And I think too many people placed too high of, a, of, of importance on their next album. And seeing as you two were, were just looking at this as a throwaway EP, seeing as they were in, in the creative spirit, Octane Baby being such, or the, or the Zoo TV tour, being such an immense amount of, of, um, of inspiration with the visuals and all the places they were traveling to, they... They were in a good zone. They also had a lot of songs 
expect from the Octoon Baby sessions, as we all sort of um, um, have when we're not supposed to have it, but I digress on that. The um, there was such a plethora of of uh, of uh, throwaway tracks that they already had a good starting point to go into this album. Um, I believe between it only taking six weeks. Um, them bringing in uh, Flood as the main producer. Edge also helped out. They brought in Eno a little bit on it as well. But they just wanted to crank it out. Um, and and so when when you've got people like Spin uh, uh, calling it, you know, uh, uh, something that um, uh, where is it here about how Zeropa almost killed their their career <laughs> um as they were looking back on it back back in 2013 up to that point um too many people thought that this was indeed the um the uh, uh true follow-up talking baby when that wasn't w- what it was designed to be anyway you also had in 1993 in between all this stuff happening bono's uh bono's daughter um um, um eve being born as well so there was a lot of activity going on within the U2 world. We were just getting Adam clean and sober. You know, we were we were getting all of that stuff happening. Actually, no, I think I think that that was happening towards the end of '93 uh, uh, because that was when the Sydney show um, show was. So I digress on that. Yeah, that's the, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but the main thing is. You you had you still had Octung Baby hot on the on the radio, and to come in with with this more um, artistic album um, with the first track, which we'll talk about, it 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 threw people for for a curve. Um, and as we talk about songs like Stay, you know, I really think Stay saved the album all things considered. But when people talk about this era, they really don't talk about Zuropa. They always talk about Octane Baby. So it kind of feels like it's the forgotten um, uh, 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 younger brother, you know? Yeah, it's kind of the middle child in a sense because Octane gets all the attention and then Pop gets all the sort of lazy third child. <laughs> Whatever. I'm going to get in trouble for saying something. I'm just going <laughs> to shut up and we'll start into the song by song discussion of the album. <laughs> But suffice to say, it did win a Grammy uh, for best alternative album of the year. Um, and <laughs> oh, that that was when Bono uh, was that when uh, he dropped uh, the F bomb. Yep, that was when he yeah he said he he wanted to f up the mainstream, right. um, and he accepted the award before giving Frank Sinatra his um, his um, lifetime achievement award. So he was already in prime form. Yeah, <laughs> and. Just for the record, uh, with all the other sources saying that this album was a success or wasn't a hit, Entertainment Weekly called it downright heroic. And that's the phrase that has always stuck with me for this album, downright heroic. <laughs> was this, Ian, since actually we hadn't had you on the show, uh, where where did you first discover you two and, and sort of where does Europa fit in that pantheon of uh, um, what you've... Yeah, so I was at I was in school when uh, uh, Octane Baby and Zuropa came out, and I remember the singles for the albums rather than the albums themselves. Uh, I remember hearing The Fly. I think I was still in middle school, um, and yeah, just listening to The Fly on the radio and always listening for the falsetto. That was the first song that, of theirs that caught my attention. The next one was Lemon, and I guess with the falsetto, um, 
And yeah, that song was the one that really caught my attention. Pop was the first album that I really got into, but Lemon was the song that like said, hey, this is a band you need to pay attention to. Yeah. Nice. Okay, well, let's get into the music, like I said. Oh my God, that is the worst kind of torture when you turn that song off right in the middle of it. <laughs> that is so mean, so mean. This tune for me, um, I was making my first European trip. Um, I, I was on the plane listening to my little cassette <laughs> because back in the day we still had cassette players um, uh, flying to Europe it's my first time outside of the country and I'm hearing a very European sounding uh, uh, track and I'm flying the friendly skies and all that other uh, fun, you know, advertising jargon in it. Um, but, but where this song got me was right towards the end as it, as it, um, as it hooks you. It's, it's the perfect introduction where where he's saying, you know, don't worry, baby, it's going to be all right. Uncertainty can be a guiding light. I hear voices, ridiculous voices. And meanwhile, you've got all these background sounds that, that are truly ridiculous, um, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's the perfect combination of all things Zoo TV poured into the six-minute song. Um, and I think that Chris Andrinal did a great job with his theoretically speaking um, column that uh, that was published over the summer um, on on our site, uh, talking about the um, the um, rhythmic representations of uncertainty. I think that he he um, his theory on that is spot on. Nice, yeah, Marilyn, you've done a like a song on this, uh, one of the articles on at you too, right? Yeah, I did. Um, this is one of my favorite U2 songs. And um, unlike Actung Baby, uh, when you first put that, that uh, album on, uh, they pretty much hit you over the head uh, with the first song. But this one, um, it's such a slow burn. I love this because... For a full minute, you just hear noises, like Sherry said. And my son said, it sounds busy, like what they were doing, which was flying on airplanes. And that beginning part reminds me of um, kind of that half-sleep when the airplane is just making the most noise and everything else sounds far away and drifts in and out. And um, it's just, you know, ephemera. Um, but... Um, but they make you wait a minute for the song to actually start and then two full minutes before there's uh, singing and then four minutes <laughs> before the song just sort of erupts. And uh, that's my favorite part. And I love that part. Um, like Sherry was saying, you know, I have no religion. I don't know what's what. Like, this is my life every day. So to hear him say this stuff is just, um, it, it makes me feel better that i'm not the only one yeah 
uh, feels this way. So I just, I absolutely love this song. I just love it. Yeah, this is uh, at UT War 40 commented saying Europe Alive this last tour was incredible, which of course it definitely was. And, and Dream Out Loud is a phrase that has described this band since day one. But especially that, that lyric um, sort of summed up a lot of what's through TV and everything that was going on the Europa tour and stuff that was going on. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a, this is again like what Ian was saying with just lyrics and stuff and, and the way the interplay between the lyric and the music uh, just works so well. Multiple voice tracks and things that are, sort of echoing each other and all that kind of stuff call and response and stuff that goes on is is so good on this song and and it wasn't for me it wasn't until um on the was it 360 tour when they brought it back live right Am I, mm-hmm. like, yeah and what wasn't until like like i like the song but it wasn't until i heard it on that tour the way they sort of did it that i really fell in love with it i think um in a new way and as often happens with u2 songs anyways when you hear them live in a certain way then uh brings out the the recording that much more for you so so this song like the second half of it probably has my favorite lyrics for bono ever and i'm kind of of the i'm one of the believers that youtube albums come in trinities and like i think their 90s albums were loss of love with octane baby loss of purpose with zuropa and loss of faith with pop and i just i can't express how much i love uh just the whole idea that this came out when europe was at such a point of turmoil and when everything was topsy-turvy, I mean, they obviously have the EU stars on the front of the uh, album. And they've got the picture of Lenin and the little baby face astronaut who was the Russian astronaut that got stuck up in space as the Soviet Union collapsed. And then just to do the lyrics, I mean, they use three different languages in the lyrics, French, German and English. And they just that second half where it's just I have no purpose Um I have no compass. I have no map. I have no religion. I don't know what's what. It just, for me, it's just such an excellent way to just express all the chaos and confusion that was occurring at the time. And I think we're going to see this particular track make a big comeback in 2017 with the Brexit vote, seeing as, as um, um, you know, during the, uh, the, uh, Zoomerang and the Zuropa legs of the um, of the Zoo TV tour. How you would have the falling star at the very beginning of the um, of the show during um, Zoo Station. I think we're going to see that imagery come back. I think they're going to use this in in a way to to express that same. Um, loss of identity or frustration, you know, what's happening to Europe, what's happening to the U.S., what's happening, um, it's it's going to make a bold statement. Well, and the way it was used on The Last of Innocence and Experience, where they just had that stripped-down synth-heavy version mm-hmm. uh, before Streets After Bullet, where it's just, I mean, it's so sad. And, yeah, it, it, I think it would be perfect for doing exactly that. Yeah, it almost gives me, I was going to say, it gives me hope for the, although it might be too late, depending on where they are in the process of the new album, um, just to have some of this sort of exploration of, of what's going on in the world, as opposed to the more sort of inward looking kind of stuff that, um, of late anyways, they've been writing that's a little bit more um, inward focused. But anyways, we'll... Uh, <laughs> Who's to say that they haven't scrapped everything again <laughs> Don't say <that>. after, <laughs> after the election? <laughs> And we're, I mean, with with the um, with the Omaze um, 
uh, contest. It originally said uh, for for the private U2 uh, uh, performance for their 2017 tour, and they've now changed that that text to not even include 2017. I think our friends over at um, U2 tour uh, pointed Sorry. that out. <laughs> I and wasn't trying to play you. <laughs> that was a subtle way of saying stop talking we're moving on no wow <laughs> that was an accident honest anyways but let's move on So yeah, one of the best things I liked about the 90s U2 was just how they seemed to be embracing technology and just how fascinated they were with how it was moving things forward. Uh, like One of the coolest things I remember reading about U2, I forget where it was, but they had uh, the concept of digital music written into their contracts in the early 90s because even then, uh, like almost a decade before the iTunes store came out, they were uh, making sure they had the rights to that because they could just see all this stuff coming. And I'm pretty sure Babyface is about uh, streaming or televised uh, porn. And the whole song is just uh, this person who was fa fascinated by this uh, porn actress who he's just following. And just the fact that they would be able to foresee what, like, how that prevalent that would become with the internet and all that sort of stuff even if they were describing it in a tv situation here yeah, it's one of the things i love the most about this era of u2 whereas i thought that it was a uh, uh a tongue-in-cheek on um babyface mullins so i was i've, I've been wrong last <laughs> year well depending on which u2 fan you talk to that could be a combination of the two things <laughs> But, yeah. yeah, just in time for the holidays, um, your creepy uncle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's uh, what this song reminds me of, the creepy uncle. Yeah, is that serious? Just to sort of. Well, like, yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, it's pretty graphic what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, you know, it's. Um, if it weren't so pretty, I would be disgusted by this song, but it's just such a pretty song, you know? Yeah, it's it's the chimes and the like the kind of soft and vocals and the uh, secondary falsetto vocals behind the chorus. It's yeah, right. it just it's so pretty and dainty and like almost like skipping. But then when you think about what's actually happening, That's it's kind of nasty. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you sort of it, it. It is one of those things where it's probably a song that Bono would only write on tour as opposed to writing when he's in you know normal headspace or slightly more normal <laughs> headspace yeah this is sort of like the um um uh, sleep like a baby tonight uh a preview exactly yeah yeah so we'll have to wait and hear what matt thinks of baby face if it's i think i asked him if it was all songs with the word baby in the title and he said no so it's not that exactly but uh we'll see <laughs> you know what else i don't like <laughs> all right moving on Don't 
I remember actually, as I was listening to this, the first few episodes of the show, I remember thinking we should have a contest someday. I think, Sherry, you, you were maybe on this one, saying like, who can go the longest in the lyrics of Numb before they forget, like off memory or whatever, try and see who could last, say the most lyrics within Numb. We never did actually do that, but uh, so let's file that one away for a future episode. But um, the in as much as I love the just how different the song is and the sort of obviously um, almost militaristic and just sort of spoken word thing it's to me it's the appearance of the fat lady vocal or the high falsetto bono that sort of makes this song for me and and again the live version with azu tv um on the on the concert video i didn't actually see this tour live myself in person but um, watching the video and just the uh, and then the music video too, and just sort of the interplay of having a bit of fun with themselves and an edge in particular, obviously. Um, but then again, coming back to like some cool, deep kind of lyrics that, um, yeah, just kind of hit you when you actually read and, and see what's going on uh, with the song. So anybody else have thoughts? Yeah, I on, love um, this song, Chris. Um, the thing I like about it is, you know, edge is so deadpan. Um, and he's telling you all these things, you're not, you know, don't do it. Don't do any of these things. And, you know, every day in your life, people are telling you, oh, you know, don't talk too loud. You're in church. Don't talk. You're at work. You have to be quiet, you know. Um, and then you have the fat lady, which is Bono, and he's on your shoulder going, come on. Yeah. <laughs> There's more to life than just the things that you can't do, you know. And uh, I... That and for me too, that that uh, falsetto really makes the song for me. One of the things that I really like is um, in the redone version they did for the best of 1990 to 2000. Uh, they have the uh, more enhanced vocal of Larry during the chorus, just saying "I feel numb." And if I remember correctly, he was the one that came up with the lyrics for the chorus, or at least that part. And just getting that flat deadpan. As only Larry can do, I feel numb. Just and they, yeah, I love it. I listen to it every single. I listen for it every single time when I listen to the uh, re redone version. Wasn't this the first single off of Zuropa? So this was our first introduction to it all, and the video was just you know Edge sitting in front of a a, a, a camera while everybody's doing all this stuff to him. Um, and he still just just sat there deadpan through throughout. Um, I find that it's that it's a it was a nice um, entry point for uh, the chaos of Octung and Zoo TV to come into numb to be like this is information overload. You know, you had a um, um, on the. Uh, VHS because it was ninety ninety three on the um, on the VHS you. You had a version of the um, of the song done by EBN where it's just all these once again visuals just being thrown at at you until you get to a point of yeah I am completely numb by it it's it's almost um, too uh, uh, literal. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I see that, uh, um, uh, somebody's asked about numb versus down all the days. 
Um, and so Adam had, had uh, mentioned in YouTube by YouTube in 2006 that Numb was a leftover from Octung Baby, and it was called Down All the Days at that point, but the song didn't work, uh, uh, but the instrumental backing was interesting. So Brian Eno added some fantastic keyboards, and when they were trying to get the final running order together for Zeropa, they had this backing track but didn't know what to do with it. Then that's when Edge took off to another studio to um, demo these ideas. And within a few hours, he he um, came up with um, Numb. So this was a uh, um, uh, amalgam. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah. Yes, that's it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> of of the original Down All the Days. Um, and that's what it came out to be. Yeah, that's where this is where again, like we've talked about on previous podcasts, it'd be awesome and so much fun to be a, a fly, no pun intended, on the wall when they're recording and, and remixing and deciding on this stuff and hearing what you know the this song sounded like. Like we've got, sort of got to hear a bit with the Actung tapes that we don't actually hear. Um, but yeah, uh, for a hardcore YouTube fan, musician fan, whatever, it's just kind of fun to to see all the the trails of where songs came from and, and where they've gotten to. So. Um, but moving on, this next one is called Lemon. Okay, you guys, listen. That is my all-time favorite, 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 favorite U2 song. It's number one. (laughs) It's number two on my list. All the time, every day. It never changes. That's always my favorite U2 song. So what is it about it for you? It's everything. It's absolutely everything. I could write books about this song. I love it so much, and there's so much going on. Um. I, I love how, um, like Ian said, this was such a creative period for the band. And Bono's singing is just so on point. You know, he, he's hitting high notes, he's hitting low notes. It's that duality of the, um, the sadness and the uh, joy. Um, it's, um, I love the whole idea of the song about the video of Bono's mother. And I'm thinking, you know, he, up until that point before he saw this video, maybe his only memories of his mother um, were in his, you know, he could only conjure her. But then all of a sudden he sees her on a film and that makes her more real. And the song to me just feels like he's filling in details. You know, she's imagination you know, um, I'm reaching out to her, you know, like it's, it's just so it's painful and it's joyful at the same time. And I could just go on and on and on. Um, and I was asking my son about why, why do I feel this way? Why does it make me feel so good? But then it makes me sad. And he went on to explain some kind of, um, something about the chords, the majors and the minors. And, you know, I, I didn't understand a thing he said, but (laughs) it sounded Right, but I, I didn't understand them. But, um, but this song just this has everything for me. Yeah, for me, has everything. Go ahead, Ian. You've got you wrote a, a about a song I think on this one too, right? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, for me, I think we both did. 
Nice. High five. Um, for me, it's just the contrast. I love how it's probably got Bono's vocals at their most flamboyant and just ecstatic. And he's singing in the falsetto and uh, just singing about all these emotions about uh, how he misses his mom and just made the more kind of like uh, platonic concepts of her being imagination and her being the dreamer and all that stuff. And then behind it, you have Edge's cold, just purely descriptive vocals, just talking about the mechanics of everything Bono's singing about, like uh, Bono's singing about how she wore lemon and coming up with all these uh, maybe like childhood inspired fantasies about why she was wearing a lemon. She wore lemon to color in the cold gray night and all that. And then you have uh, the Edge behind it singing uh, a man um, melts the sand so he can see the world outside. A man captures color. A man likes to stare. He's describing the actual act of creating something that can play a film. And yeah, it's just that contrast where it's the supercharged emotion versus the stern, cold descriptiveness. It's just so cool. So it's the right brain versus the left brain. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and it's there's also, uh, I, forget, I don't know if it was Kevin Godley or who it was, that they also have a friend who is a filmmaker kind of thing is a bit of who the story was also about the man capturing color, but sort of spun it back into the uh, Bono's mom and stuff. And, and actually it's funny how we were all kind of converging on lemon. Cause my own, I, I actually named my business lemon productions because of this song, because at the time I was doing a little bit more of video stuff and, and kind of just inspired that way to, you know, use what isn't, really a, a great name for a business to call your business a lemon <laughs> but i just wanted to do that because it yeah it just inspired me so much as the creative process of of what you're doing turning money into light to look for her and things like that um is such a, a beautiful sort of visual and and then also the line that uh, i think again sort of stuck with me from the the tour and, and the concert video and stuff is the midnight is where the day begins um and just hearing bono kind of emote that out as the song ends and uh it transitioned to well, i'm drawing a blank now where it went but with or without you right yeah, yeah. it's just yeah. this perfect like segue it's amazing yeah it's amazing uh i i i wore a, a rut into my whatever i was listening to it on at the time tape or cd or whatever i had at the time listening to those two songs back to back and i'm sure annoying my friends in the car or whatever because you know it's like screaming crowd and sort of really trebly recording or whatever but <laughs> love that so um and yeah. uh and uh, at youtube ward 40 had mentioned as well lemon has argu- arguably the most catchy piano riff youtube has ever put down which might be debatable i guess if you're you know thinking of new year's day or something like that but you could <laughs> you could sweetest thing yeah that would be actually probably the catchiest uh okay let's keep moving And this is where uh, we'll keep interjecting you two Wars 40s comments. <laughs> Thanks for sending in a bunch of them. That's perfect. Uh, acoustic version of Stay is nice, but the full band version has much more personality, which actually I disagree with because um, for me, this song is, again, the not necessarily like the live version or whatever. I don't know the, the various versions they've done over the years, but um, especially when they've sort of thrown it in at random spots i think it just kind of is a it hits you how beautiful this song is because it kind of just can fit anywhere in a concert set or um if i'm 
grab my acoustic. It's like one of the first songs I play if I'm sound checking or just noodling around on the guitar or whatever. It's a U2 doesn't have a ton of great acoustic songs to sort of jam on, and and it's got just some nice easy chords to strum along with and a beautiful melody. Um, and then uh, "Far Away So Close" happens to be the name of my personal blog ten years ago or so that I named it after that song as well. So there's another little U2 tie-in, as I'm sure all of us have random <laughs> things we've named. In, inspired by you too so um but yeah anybody else with comments on for Stay? for me this song is is forever linked uh visually because i remembered seeing the video on mtv and it 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 included you know bono with his angel wings flying down and then i discovered because it it was uh, a track for the Vim Benders film, Far Away So Close, uh, which is where the stay Far Away So Close comes from. Um, and of course, the band had um, and still has a, a good friendship with um, Vim Benders. Um, so it introduced me to the almost three hour film, which um, which is really a, uh, uh, about an angel yearning for some sense of humanity um and that gets at the whole notion of what zuropa um was going for much like what um ian said earlier so to me it's more than just a track on this album it it's inspired by uh the sequel to wings of desire so if you dive deeper into um those films it 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 adds a richness that many of the other U2 songs don't have. Um, but it's, it's even more, um, or rather it's even richer than until the end of the world, which was also for another the vendors movie. Uh, this one I, I really related to because, you know, I wish he hadn't been buried in the backyard. No, no, no. That was on rattle and hum. Um, um, <laughs> I related to it because, at the point in my life I was at, I was missing certain people in my family and I was at, at a point in college where, you know, I'm questioning why am I here? Why am I, um, you know, all those existential questions because you're in a freaking psychology course and, and they're asking you to think about these things. And I was having one of those, you know, well, well what am I doing here? Um, so this song blended with the movie kind of helped me through that time and continues to do so. So whether it's full band, acoustic, uh, falsetto, I don't care. It's a great song. Yeah, just the outro, uh, especially live, um, the OOOs, which is, you know, just a silly lyric or whatever, not even a lyric really, but <laughs> it's just a fun thing and has emotion that goes beyond what obviously they're just actually saying and uh, it's just kind of a fun, fun thing to listen well, to. One of the things with that, um, there was the version of the redone version of it that had Bono and Edge on vocals done by Craig Armstrong. Mm-hmm. And the OOOs at the end of that, I, I don't know, they just sounded so much more like mournful and plaintive and just mm. sad. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I when you have them over Larry's beat and stuff like that, they do just seem more like, for lack of a better phrase, filler for the song. But yeah, when you hear them in the other version, this kind of choral ethereal version, uh, yeah, it sounds much more heavy. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, it brings out sort of the, the, the minor of the song as opposed to the, all the major or whatever chords kind of idea. So, all right, we got to keep moving. Next song. So yeah, one of the things I've always liked the most about Bono's lyrics is how they can feel so very specific and intimate, yet they can be open enough to feel that way to so many people for different reasons. I think that's like one of his real talents, and this song I think is one of the best exemplifiers of that. I mean, uh, going with the Europe coming apart, Zuropa, EU stars on the front motif, I always thought this song was about... Uh, how even though Russia was falling apart and Europe was struggling, uh, the more stable countries in the EU would always be there to help them out and they would be there to pick up the pieces and clean up whatever mess was made. Um, But then I remember seeing Bono said it was actually about how no matter how much damage they caused on tour, um, I think it was Paul McGinnis would always be there to clean up after them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And... Then, yeah, I was talking to another friend, and he said he always thought it was about how God would forgive you for whatever you did. I mean, no matter how great your sin, um, if you go by the uh, God of Abraham, he would always be there to forgive you. So, yeah, it, I love how specific it is to each person, yet how wide open it is to interpretation. And it's the perfect song for McFisto to take the stage to. Yep, yep. Yeah, full of the. That's the like we talked about at the beginning of the show. The the attitude and the flair and the <laughs> just the slithering almost around the stage and stuff that I can totally picture from watching that video, the the um, Sydney video, uh, six thousand times or whatever. <laughs> that, um, yeah, that's what. And Bono girl in the chat room says, "What? It's about McGinnis? No, it's about God," <laughs> which is exactly <laughs> like what we're saying. And just that, um, yeah, the lyric there, it it. Just again, again, over and over, we'll keep repeating ourselves, but how it just conveys such a strong emotion, whichever way you want to take it, um, it seems to hit really strongly, no matter which way you want it to sort of interpret it. So, um, yeah, Marilyn, you've been quiet for a bit. Are are you still basking in in lemon or do you have some? (laughs) Oh, no, no. I'm um, going to give this one to the rhythm section. Uh, I think this song, I think this whole album, actually, um, Adam... And Larry, I think they're just absolutely amazing. And the bass on this especially is just so, so much fun. I mean, all, this is a hip-shaking album up until a certain point. Um, and this one is just one of those songs. It's just so, so much fun. Yeah, exactly. When there's that, uh, I forget which album it was. I think it was after Rattle and Hum or whatever, where Bono's in the car with somebody who picked him up and then, you know, he heard his song on the radio or whatever and how there's no like depth no bass to it or whatever and no you couldn't sort of rock to it um and then sort of wanted to bring some of that into act tongue or whatever and songs like this i think must be ones that he is happy to put on in a, in a booming stereo or a car or whatever <laughs> just to show that yeah. his band knows how to shake the hips i guess yeah um next one is some days are better than others most days you're lazy, some days you feel like a bit of a baby, looking for Jesus and his mother, some days are better than others, some days 
So yeah, I, normally on every album you can find one song or another that I would classify as one of U2's summer songs, and I think this is the summer song for this. Um, it for Zeropa, it just it's not serious, it's not heavy. Uh, they're not trying to convey any deep message or anything. They're just talking about stuff. I like the kind of wicker wicker wick sound effect in the background. Makes it feel kind of wobbly like jello. Um, it's not heavy. It's not supposed to be. It's a bit of a palate cleanser on an otherwise very heavy album. And yeah, I think songs like this get a bit of a bad rap. Speaking of bad raps, that's where YouTube War 40 comes in and says, some days are better than <laughs> others is an automatic skip. <laughs> Which... <laughs> Uh, I know in some camps is maybe heresy in some YouTube fans' minds or whatever, but fully warranted, uh, you know, Matt McGee has gone on record as skipping other certain songs. So there's, you're definitely allowed to have that opinion. This is, uh, I, I agree with you though, Ian, too. It's, it is, uh, in a, in as much as a track can be sort of a throwaway track or whatever, um, it does feel a bit like a, a filler one in a sense, um, sort of there's, there's lyrics, but they're kind of like nonsensical in a way um it's too bad i feel like that um adam's baseline is not i hear me out it's in a sense wasted on this song because it feels like that their his baseline could make for a great song and it's kind of used in the, in sort of a bit of a throwaway song i guess um you can send email to sherry at, at youtube.com if you disagree Some songs are better than others <laughs> but again it's one of those songs where if i i i rarely get the opportunity to play bass but when i do this that riff is the one i pull out because it's just like it nobody knows it as a u2 song obviously and so they don't groan if you start like they would if you start playing with or without you or something on the bass but um it's a fun riff to actually play so yeah, that's another one that Adam wins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Adam fans will be sending me hate mail, I know. So that's okay. I can take it. <laughs> My father is a rich man. He wears a rich man's cloak. He gave me the keys to his kingdom. I completely got the prodigal son reference in the first time the first time i i listened to it um this song brings me to my knees because you think about you know all all the places you look for love you look for acceptance you try to do the right thing and ultimately when that time comes and you have to make a decision, you know, whether it's a decision of faith or it's a, it's a, it's a commitment and it breaks my heart at the end about, you know, I threw away the key. Um, there's, there's this complete loss of, of self towards the end of it. And it's no irony that this song was also uh, part of the million dollar hotel, uh, uh, film that Bono wrote. Um, it's 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 so filled with sadness it's hard for me to find joy in it um so when i get into that particular mode i'll just put on the headphones and crank this and console myself with this particular track i will put this one on constant replay for um quite a while um every so often 
That's interesting because I've always heard it to be a song about someone finding their purpose. Because for me, it was more like he chose the the narrator chose their own path. It wasn't. I mean, there was the standard, obviously, Trinity, the Christian Trinity within the song, and the person decides they're not going to go along with that, but they're still finding their own path and they're still deciding what is best for them and where they're going to go with that. And so, yeah, for me, it's really interesting to hear Sherry's alternate take on it. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I questioned the end after, after throwing away the key, but for the first time I feel love. Well, what, well where do you feel love? You, uh, you know, for- I can, I can see that you feel love with, with, you know, in the first stanza, your lover, you know, I can see that you've, you feel love with the brother and, and, um, you know, I appreciate Bono talking once again in YouTube by you too about this basically, you know, uh, 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 focusing a little bit on atheism a little bit about how, you know, I, I don't need religion, um, to feel love, but for, for me personally, I I feel like there's got to be more to um to just being on this planet and living in the condition that I'm currently living in. So it's hard for me to to uh, uh, figure out why you feel love if you've walked away from eternity. Yeah, that's right. I've always thought it definitely has sort of that element of whether um, whether it's the faith in God and, and throwing that away. That's how I've always sort of felt it was, is a bit of like turning your back on that, but in, in sort of Ian's sense of like a, in a healthy way. And obviously for some folks that might not seem to be possible to be <laughs> in a healthy way or whatever, but just that the despair and, but then still finding themselves and finding hope and finding, you know, love or whatever in whatever they've turned to, I guess. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful song, but I think because of that, I'll, I'll, those that sort of different interplays that are there that you can uh, you can sort of feel that uh, from the song and and just even melody wise and and sort of this uh, soulful ballad that uh, is almost closing out the album um, and there's a bit of a for me anyways it's not an exact replica by any means but there's a uh, musically or the guitar line that he uses especially when they've played it live and sort of stripped it down a bit it's a very similar riff to what. Uh, underpins uh, mothers of the disappeared actually and so i don't that, that's a bit of a stretch to like make it a callback to that in any sense other than just you know that it's a common sort of edge way of droning a, a note but um those two are, uh, musically sort of go together for me whenever i've noodle around on the guitar and stuff and so there's common sort of different themes that are running through them all so if you think about the track listing you know taking it from um uh if you're on the cassette, Daddy's going to pay for your crash car is the first song on side side B. Um, so if you're if you're going thematically speaking, if you believe Daddy's, you know that that God figure um, who will take care of things into some days are better than others. Okay, well you know uh, um, all my problems are going to be taken care of. So la di da, you know, I'm going to live my life. And if I have a good day, I have a good day. If I have a bad day, I have a bad day going into, um, the first time where, where, you know, I kind of like it here. You can keep all of your forgiveness. You can keep all of that stuff. I'm, I'm, 
I'm good. I got my people around me. And then going into Dirty Day and then ending with the Wanderer, knowing that the Wanderer is is off trying to find religion. You know, quite clearly, two songs before that, you gave it a go and was like, eh, not so much. Um, uh, the um, track uh, list is super important at this point in the storytelling. Yeah, it's interesting. And that's a good sort of look through the the way that the theme sort of interplays, I guess, throughout this, the last half of the album. So on that note, let's keep moving on. Get it right There's no blood thicker than ink You have the album take a decidedly tar- dark turn with, uh, with the first time, and then here comes Dirty Day, and um, I like this um, play uh, between these songs because, you know, you have Bono singing about his mother uh, on Lemon, but this is... I think this is definitely about his dad. Um, I think Dirty Day was uh, a term that his father used in a conversation. Um, and this, uh, this seems like a, a, a conversation maybe we shouldn't be hearing between Bono and his father. And it's not a comfortable conversation. Um, but it's so personal. And... That Charles Bukowski line, the days run away like horses over the hill. Um, if you're a parent or a child, um, that's just so evocative, isn't it? I mean, it just, that's really how your life is. Your days just run away from you, whether you like it or not, um, good or bad. Um, and today, this song, I mean, I've had the dirtiest of days today, so... I feel every word, <laughs> every note of this song today, because this day was just downright filthy, and uh, so this makes me feel better hearing it. Well, you have to yeah, most, turn it on and listen to the whole thing after we we shut off. <laughs> the most oh, powerful line, I mean, the most powerful line was, "You can't even remember what I'm trying to forget." That is filled with so much pain right there, um, you know what I'm dealing with in my own personal life, I've got stuff going on where I, I just wish, okay, I wish you could remember this so that you can help me work through it so I can forget it. But if you don't remember it, I can't, I can't deal with it. Um, that is a very potent line. This is another one where, um, the live version again on the, on the concert video, um, brought uh, brought the song out for me anyways it's kind of brought it gave it a lot more color than it felt like it had an, an energy too than on the the album it certainly has its sort of uh slow vibe um dark corner of a, of a pub kind of singing until it breaks into the sort of more explosive chorus but um live it definitely sort of i guess the the two extremes of the song were kind of uh intensified and um and yeah Again, I, I'm a broken record when it comes to this, but that that would concert video document or doc, you know, concert video was kind of very instrumental in, in my own <laughs> love for you too, and so I keep going back to it. So, how about for you, Ian? For you? Yeah, I mean, I like the song. It's not necessarily my favorite on the album, but I love just how 
there's something about just the darkness and the bitterness and just the resentment that's just oozing from it that I, I find very intriguing. And it one of the things that has confused me about this album is how it has all these dark, heavy songs and then they give them these super peppy remixes, yeah. like the Bitter Kiss remix, um, where it's like got a really fast beat and uh, Bono's like screaming, wake up, rather than just the standard wake up. And they've got like peppy versions of Stay and stuff like that. Yeah, it's been one of the more puzzling parts of the album to me. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say before you talked about the remixes, the it's kind of like, um, and maybe it's, I don't, I don't want to speak for for Sherry or Marilyn, but the, anybody with sort of daddy issues or whatever kind of gets the, <laughs> the vibe of what's going on here in this song. But, but yeah, it's hard to sort of mix that in with the, the pop sort of fun that you're kind of having musically. So, well, uh, they were still very much into the club culture, um, mm-hmm. vibe. So I think that that was just a carryover, um, that any song that, that they wanted to remix would get, that remix treatment plus they needed uh b-sides for the singles because at the time singles were still an important marketing tool for the album yeah definitely exactly and so yeah that's what the what's too bad i guess about some of the modern uh current albums and singles and stuff is you don't get as much fun sort of being had with the remixes and stuff but that's discussion for another album (laughs) another time another episode let's move on to the final track of the episode of the album Yeah, so I remember for uh, the 360 tour, I was supposed to go see them in Barcelona and it didn't work out. And so once I was back in the States, I made up my mind that I was going to see one more 360 show come Hell or High Water. And I remember the Nashville show showed up late. It Tickets went on sale after the rest of that leg of the tour. And I said, I'm going for it. So went there, met up with a buddy who was living in uh, South Carolina, I believe, at the time. And I just remember it was swelteringly hot and it was the smallest venue I think they played for the 360 tour. Uh, Just that massive, massive stage over Vanderbilt Stadium. And after I still haven't found what I'm looking for, it's just Bono on the edge on stage and Bono just starts singing. I went out walking and just uh, this was a song I thought I'd never, ever, ever get to hear live. And even if it was a stripped down version, just, yeah, it's for me, it's one of the three kind of crown jewels lyrically and musically on the album, along with Lemon and Zuropa. And just, I don't care whether it's the Johnny Cash version or the Bono version. I love them both equally. I just, Johnny Cash's version where he's just so tired and so weary. And just the idea of walking under an atomic sky where everything is in nuclear winter and fallout is everywhere and everything is rotting and just looking for one good man a spirit that would not bend or break. And yeah, then they released that cartoon version for the uh, Innocence and Experience tour where it's that kind of toxic yellow cartoon of Johnny Cash just aging as he sings the song. Yeah, everything about this song is just brilliant. Yeah, that, that Vanderbilt uh, performance was for a Johnny Cash. Um, it was it was filmed for, for a Cash special, if I remember correctly. Well, so that was... 
that was on the uh, Vertigo tour. They took the, they did that special recording. But yeah, for the Vanderbilt show, uh, it was just kind of an off the cuff thing where Bono and the Edge mm. Edge just played it acoustic, and Bono just sang the first couple verses. And yeah, one of my highlights of being a U two fan. <laughs> yeah, the line, the lyrics. There's just like so much heavy stuff going on in this in this song and. And the, and the again the Bono falsetto over top of Johnny Cash is is like it's just a beautiful combination of the two, um, but yeah the darkness of like and where men can't talk or freely walk and sons turn their fathers in and uh, and yeah there's I you could picture a time when Bono's dad probably did turn him in for, for something <laughs> he was doing or something like that so it's not out of the out of the realm of possibility that it was you know based on real life stuff but um, yeah it just it's a heavy way to end the album and um you know aside from the the horns at the end or the alarm at the end of the album uh it's kind of a dark spot to go out on so um and and i, I think it's really cool you know you got to hear it and, and sort of randomly uh, have that um that moment but the the line that kind of stuck with me um and sticks with me with it is that sort of the to taste and touch and feel as much as a man can before he repents and sort of that that idea kind of encapsulates what i think that sounds like anyways the band was going through on this tour where it was kind of like this is their last big bender before they sort of settle down into um i mean not the pop was settled down but (laughs) (laughs) uh before they settle down back home or whatever uh, on this tour anyways um and kind of sums up a lot of what they were kind of going through so um, yeah. in, in sort of wrapping up this discussion, I guess, does anybody have any closing thoughts? Maybe you didn't get to in, in, if I cut you off and played you out <laughs> earlier in the, the discussion, but, uh, we'll just sort of go around the, the virtual round table, I guess, as it were. And maybe Marilyn, we'll, we'll start with you if you have any closing thoughts. Well, I just, um, I really just love this album for all the different noise that's on it. Um, there's so much going on in every song. Like Ian said, like this is some of Bono's best writing. Um, you don't hear a lot of edge on this album, which I kind of like, uh, because much is made of the edge and should be made of the edge. But um, I think the other three players really uh, carry the record. And um, it was very kind of him <laughs> to step aside um, a little bit on this. Um, but I just, this is one of my, it's always in my top two, Zuropa. Yeah. So, yeah, there was much made of like, is this the end of guitar on rock records and stuff? At least in the, the flannel right. book, it's kind of like, what's going to happen? What's Edge going to do in this band now? It's <laughs> kind of stuff. And obviously he's gone on to have a, a bit of a good career since then. Still, still doing <laughs> the guitar thing. Fine. Yeah. Um, Sherry, how about you? Any closing thoughts? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to upset some of the pop people right now and I'm going to, say that this is the most undervalued album. Many people will argue that it's pop, but I believe that it's Zuropa because of the length of time that it took them to put it out, the depth of material on it. Pop, you had over four years to put that album together and the band could have used another four years. But this one, it's 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 a thinker and it grows on you. And as Marilyn said earlier, you know, it's it's got that that fire still within it so um it's it's certainly one of my favorites is it one of my top three i'm not sure but i will say that it is certainly one of the if not their um, most undervalued album all right 
Yeah, send Sherry your tweets. We'll, you can find out at the end of the show how to <laughs> tweet at her if you think pop is more undervalued. Uh, Ian, how about you? Any closing thoughts? Yeah, it's tied for my favorite YouTube album ever. I think lyrically, it's yeah, definitely my favorite album of theirs. It's a little bit more erratic than Octum Baby. I think Octum Baby is a bit more... Uh, just consistently high as far as lyrics go, but when Zuropa gets to its lyrical best, it's better than anything else they've done. And I just I love how detailed and conceptual and layered it is, especially for something that was just thrown together in a month and a half. It's, it makes me wish they'd do more albums like this just because they wouldn't give themselves the opportunity to second-guess what they had done. they just crank stuff out and let it be consumed and... Yeah, it it's something special. Yeah, that is what I I, I think you've hit it the nail on the head there too, as far as what if anything I miss from you two of this era or yeah, the Zeropa era and stuff, uh, compared to now is that sort of freedom to play a bit and and let that sit, I guess, and see see how it comes out in, in the wash, so to speak, when they tour and things like that. Um and sort of the adventurous and the dark darkness almost too that kind of goes away a bit um especially post pop it seems and uh and their willingness to sort of go there um not ex- exclusively obviously but um yeah that's that's definitely something sort of the the adventure the theatrics the drama that is kind of feels a bit missing in some respects but um we'll cover all those things on future episodes when we talk about future albums from you too uh, there's some debate as to whether it's going to be passengers or pop as the next album we discuss you'll have to listen and find out when we get to episode number 45 and record that in a couple of weeks. By the way, we record we are recording this live and we do often record them live, um, typically Wednesday nights. So if you follow the at U2 Twitter account at ATU2, you can see the tweets about when a show is being recorded. Tune in live and listen at goodstuff.fm slash live. And there's a chat room. Folks are giving us feedback and, and having their own discussion <laughs> as we're having this discussion. There's also a ton of links to things related to this album, uh, articles that were written on at you two interviews with people, uh, and et cetera, that we didn't directly discuss, but will all be in the show notes. So you can check those out and, and follow the links to, uh, stuff you may not have read or maybe haven't read in a while. Uh, again, you can find those at goodstuff.fm slash ATU two slash 44. And uh, once more around the roundtable, where can folks find you if they want to argue with you or praise you for something in a polite way? Um, uh, we'll start with you, Ian. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Ian P. Ryan. And Marilyn, how about you? I'm at Miss Marilyn, M-A-R-Y-L-I-N-N. And Sherry? At Matt McGee. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm iChris on Twitter, and uh, like I said, you can uh, follow the Twitter account for at you too, twitter.com slash atu2, and uh, facebook.com slash, where is it, atu2.com, and I think that's all the digits you need. Hope you have a great day, a great night, wherever you happen to be. Don't go out wandering too far, and we'll see you again next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.